Good morning. It's good to see you here today. I'm glad to be able to be back this morning. I've reached a decision. I don't like to be sick. So I'm going to try to avoid it in the future. This morning, I'd like you to join me in Luke chapter 13. And we're going to begin reading in a moment in verse number 22. You see them every Sunday when dressed in their Sunday best, they respectfully make their way into the worship service. They sing the words that are projected on the big screen. They greet one another in the service. They put their bit into the offering plate, and they listen to yet another sermon. When the service is over, they leave the service, maybe even tell the preacher, you did a good job. They return home. They take off their church clothes and they forget about God for another week. Meeting with God has become for them nothing more than listening to messages, singing songs, placing a token amount in the offering. Yet somehow this routine seems to fill their need for reassurance. And because they have been faithful to come to church at least on occasion, they feel that they are all right. They've secured a place in heaven. What a distortion of the message that Jesus delivered. Jesus told the religious crowd that even those who appeared the most dedicated sometimes were at best last in the kingdom and probably would not get in at all because they had too much religion and too little relationship with Jesus. This message is for those of you who have read and sung and listened to people talk about Jesus for years without meeting him personally. For far too long, the churches claim to be rescuing the perishing, when all that they have been doing is protecting the dying. Jesus began in verse 22, and he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? And then they will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom yet ahead, and they know that they have not entered in. It's an amazing thing that we look at as we begin to look at this passage and we understand that Jesus is talking to those who have in their minds, 
come to believe that they are already there. They have already made it into heaven as far as they're concerned. They have been taught all along that because they are Jews, based on their genealogy and their genealogy alone, they are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. They don't fear that, they don't believe that there is anything that they have to do because they believe, as they've been taught by the rabbis, that simply being a Jew will make them present in the kingdom of heaven. But such, obviously, is not the case. Jesus turned all of this upside down. As Jesus walked along on his journey to Jerusalem, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few going to be saved? It was in all likelihood a smug and self-complacent question based on the supposition that all Jews, except the very worst, would be saved. It may be that this man senses from what Jesus has already said about the kingdom that salvation is not going to be automatic or based on simple genealogy as they have been led to believe. For as I said, the rabbis had taught the people that God had offered salvation to all those who were born in the Jewish race and that the gift of salvation was confirmed by the symbol of circumcision and maintained by the works of the law. The average Jew in Jesus' day took heaven for granted simply because of their race. Paul attacked that very attitude when he wrote to the church in Rome. He said in Romans chapter 2 and verse 17, you are a Jew and you think you're safe because of the law. You tell others about that how you know God and you know what he wants you to do. You understand how the law works. You know right from wrong. You think you can lead a blind man. You can give light to those in darkness. You think you can teach foolish people and children about God. You have in the law the plan of truth and wisdom. And then in verse 29, he says, The true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. The religious act of becoming a Jew must be done in the heart. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The law does not do that kind of work. The true Jew gets his thanks from God and not from men. Jesus now has come along and he has taught over and over that God the Father offered salvation by grace through faith in him as the promised Savior. But as we begin to think that, about that, we have to come to the understanding that the world today is just as confused as the Jews were about how one gets to heaven. There's a growing tendency to believe that all good people, whether they or not they consider Jesus to be their Savior, they will live in heaven one day. According to the Pew Research Center's 2014 Religious study, roughly 72% of Americans say they believe in heaven. But when asked about how one gets to heaven, there are almost as many opinions as there are people. 
And some of the most popular answers are, this is my personal favorite and my pet peeve, everyone becomes an angel and goes to heaven when they die. I'll say it one more time, folks. You don't get to become an angel when you die. You are created an angel or you're not an angel. You don't get wings. You will not become an angel when you die. Some say whoever obeys the Ten Commandments will go to heaven. Others say whoever goes to church will go to heaven. Some say whoever does more good things than bad things will go to heaven. Some believe that as long as you believe in God, you'll go to heaven. Some believe that if you haven't killed anyone or done anything really bad, then you'll go to heaven. Some even believe if you're born into a Christian family, you'll go to heaven. And the only problem is that according to Jesus, all of those are wrong. Half of all adults believe that if a person is generally good or does enough good things for others during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. Isn't it more likely that like the Jews of Jesus' day, some people are taking getting to heaven for granted? And so for just a few moments, I'd like to talk with you about some important facts about who gets to go to heaven. First of, one, first of all, no one gets to go to heaven, no one goes to heaven by accident. Jesus, when he answered the question that was posed to him, he changes the emphasis from will only a few be saved to will you be among the saved? He says in verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter in and will not be able. When it says they are not able, it doesn't mean there is no way they can do it. He's saying they're trying to do it the wrong way. What does this verse mean when it says they are to strive to enter? If heaven is a free gift, then what are we striving for? He uses the word that is translated here, strive to enter, but it can also be translated, make every effort. It is a word that we get our English word agonize from. But Jesus is not describing that one may work their way into heaven. When he says to enter by the narrow gate, the emphasis is really not on the size of the gate. He is implying there is a specific route by which one must enter. That is why Jesus mentions a narrow gate and why he sets forth what it is. In the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 7, in verses 13 and 14, he speaks of that narrow way, which has virtually the same meaning. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. One will not just happen to enter the kingdom of God. One will have to strive. 
No one gets to heaven accidentally. Secondly, the road to heaven is narrow. The word narrow is a Greek word that means restrictive. While a person cannot earn entrance into heaven, there are restrictions on how one can get there. The narrow door, as I understand it here in our text, is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only means of eternal salvation, the only way of entering the kingdom of God. But the narrowness of the door suggests an important lesson. If the door is narrow, then you will not be able to pass through it several people at a time. You will have to pass through it one at a time. You will have to get through it yourself. You're not going to get to heaven because your name is on the church roster or because your family is a Baptist or any other denomination. You will not get to heaven on anyone else's coattails. You will answer to God, and you will answer to God only for yourself. Now, what reason could there be for anyone who is seeking to enter the kingdom of heaven to be ruled out by God? Because some want to enter on their own terms. Not everyone who wants to go to heaven will make it. Only those who come on God's terms. The entrance to heaven is narrow. You must enter through the one door, which is Jesus. These are God's terms, and they are the only ones that count. Being sincere is not enough. Being a good person is not enough. Being religious is not enough. Some will try to enter the kingdom by their good works, and some will miss out because they have a false view of the nature of God. They believe that God is love, and he is. But they believe, therefore, because God is love, he would never send anyone to hell. The truth is, he doesn't. They choose to go there over every obstacle that God has placed in their path. Many people think they're going to heaven, and yet they have not admitted that they are sinners. They have not turned in repentance, and they have not trusted in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. The road to heaven is narrow. And third, not everyone is going to heaven. Jesus says in the last, pers- in the last portion of verse 24, For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Jesus says many will try to enter the kingdom of heaven and not be able to do so. This completely destroys the pluralistic idea that eventually all people, no matter what they believe, no matter what path they choose, will all ultimately end up in heaven. Jesus' words must have struck a nerve when he said many of you Jews will try to enter and will not be able. Jesus uses the word many, not just some, implying that a majority of those who were listening to him speak needed to make a change. Not everyone is going to get to go to heaven. And fourth, heaven is a limited time offer. 
There is a time limit on the offer of salvation, which the Lord made ominously clear. In verse 24, he says, when, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. And then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There's coming a day when the wonderful invitation of salvation will be over. For one day, the Lord of the house is going to get up from the throne and walk to the front door of the mansion and close the only narrow door of salvation. The only opportunities for salvation are in this life. The writer of Hebrews says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. There will be no reincarnation. There will be no second chance. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth with words of caution about those who are waiting to make a decision for Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Those who seek to enter late will be told by the Lord, I do not know you where you're from, and they will be denied entrance. In other words, entrance comes through the means Jesus provides or not at all. Heaven is a limited time offer. And finally, missing heaven will be an eternal regret. He says in verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, their last will be first, and the first will be last. He says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who miss heaven. There will be an unending sorrow that cannot be described for everyone that misses out on the glories of heaven. Instead, spends an eternity separated from God. Contrary to the public, popular belief in our day, there is no sinful party in hell with all of your rowdy friends. Hell has no joy. Hell is being separated from God and wishing that you were not. Hell is not being in heaven and knowing that you could have been. Hell is the conscious torment of the knowledge of what could have been. It will be a place where people are fully aware of what they have lost and will forever be in despair. I believe there will be three surprises when we get to heaven. First of all, we'll be surprised that some of the people we didn't expect are there. Secondly, we'll be surprised that some of the people that we expected to be there are not. And the greatest surprise will be as unworthy as we are, we are.
But the great English preacher Charles Spurgeon speaks to those who thinks that God only intends to save a few people and that more people will go to hell than to heaven. He wrote in 1855, some narrow-minded bigots think that heaven be a very small place where there'll be a very few people who went to their particular chapel or church. I confess I have no wish for a very small heaven. And I love to read in the scriptures that there are many mansions in my father's house. How often do I hear people say, ah, but scripture says straight is the gate and narrow is the way and few be that find it. Therefore, there will be very few in heaven and there will be more who are lost. My friend, I differ from you. Do you think that Christ will let the devil beat him? That he will let the devil have more in hell than there will be in heaven? No, he says, it's impossible. For then Satan would laugh at Christ. There will be more in heaven than there are among the lost. God says that there will be a number that no man can number who will be saved. But he never says there will be a number that no man can number that will be lost. There will be a host beyond all count who will get to heaven. So the few turns out to be a vast and innumerable multitude from every corner of the earth. Think of, for a moment of what John wrote in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. After these things I looked and behold I saw a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes with branch, palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice saying salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We have a blessed privilege this passage is a warning. People need to be sure that they have responded to Jesus. The core issue will be in knowing Jesus, not in knowing about Jesus. The original question that Jesus was asked was, how many will be saved? And now it is more properly understood, he says, that we need to ask, would you be among the saved? In 1991, a Gallup poll showed that 78% of Americans expect to go to heaven when they die. However, many of them hardly ever pray, read their Bible, or attend church. They admit that they live to please themselves instead of God, if you were to ask these people why they believe they were going to heaven, they would not know how they were going to do it. To apply that reasoning in any other area of life, it would be like your neighbor saying to you, I'm going to Mars. And you ask, how? And they replied, I don't know. What would you think? Well, you would think, well, you better know how if you plan on going and you want to arrive. Let's pray.
Lord, although you say that there are those who will not be able, it's not because they cannot know. It's not because it has not been offered. It's because they have chosen not to accept the way of salvation as you have presented it. Help us to realize that really, it really isn't a choice. We don't really get to choose the way of salvation. The only way of salvation is Jesus Christ. Jesus said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father except by me. Paul reiterated in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, and, and neither is there any other name given under heaven among men whereby you must be saved. Jesus is the way. He is the only way. And we choose God's way or we choose not to go at all. It's not hard. In fact, it is easy. It's not hard to understand. Even a child can understand. The choice is ours. Will we accept what God is offering? Sin has separated us from our Heavenly Father. And Lord, I pray that you speak to our, our hearts today and help everyone to realize that they're a sinner. Everyone in this place, just like I am, is a sinner. And that I cannot save myself, but that Jesus has already done everything necessary on the cross for my salvation. All I must do is accept what he has offered. He has paid for my sin. And he's offered it to me as a free gift. I only have to accept it. Father, I pray for each one in, our, in this place this morning. I don't know their needs, but I know that you do. It may be that somebody needs to make that decision this morning. They need to accept Jesus, their personal Savior. It may be that others are, <clears throat> are here, but they're just hurting. They're hurting because of Life was beating them up this week. And they just need to know that you love them. So I pray that you'd wrap your arms around them this morning, and I pray that your presence would be very real to them today. Father, there are others who, they know they're saved, but sometimes just don't live like it. Other things begin to take priorities in their lives, and, and you are shoved into second or third or fourth place and we know that your word says that you you demand preeminence in our lives so help us lord today minister us we ask it in jesus name amen